let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And I'm kind of in denial here. Um, I'm in between bifocals. I've got these, you know, reading glasses that are not prescription. Uh, I'm in denial so much that the nose uh, clip thing has broken, and I'm still refusing to go get bifocals. So uh, anyway, sucks when you get old. Um, so First uh, Peter chapter two, verses one through eight. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. This is God's word. Let me pray. Lord, this is an act uh, of yours, preaching your word through fallible men. Lord, I pray, God, that you would use me mightily, that the words, your words that I have to share this morning, God, would bring you glory, that you would give me the ability, Father, to communicate your word concisely and clearly, with boldness, with humility, with gentleness, with love for your people. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So where Peter has been in the book, I'm just going to share real briefly with you. This is what's weird about wearing glasses and looking at people at the same time. Anyway, so I'm just going to share briefly with you where he's been. He first starts out with the book, and he opens up and says, you're exiles. Congratulations. You're exiles. This isn't your home. And then he goes and talks about their identity. He always brings it back to their identity in Christ. Because knowing their identity in Christ is what's going to get them through the trials and the suffering that they are experiencing. And they are experiencing intense suffering. They are experiencing persecution. They are experiencing things that we can't even comprehend in the United States. And so right before this passage, he talks about the living word, abiding word that abides in us so that we can love one another. Now, if you remember last week, Ronnie's main point was that our new birth in Christ leads us to a new love for others. My main point this morning is this. Our new birth in Christ leads us to a longing for Christ and his word, to grow up and be built up by Christ and for Christ. Now, I know that's a mouthful, so let me say it again. Our new birth in Christ leads us to a longing for Christ and his word, 
to grow up and be built up by Christ and for Christ. And so I divided the text into three sections. The first section is longing for Christ. The second section is growing up in Christ. And the third section is building up in Christ and by Christ. So let's start with longing. Peter begins with the negative. And like a loving spiritual father, he comes alongside of his children in the faith and he encourages the people of God to put away all kinds of malicious behavior. Now, I love what the New Living Translation says. So it says this, so get rid of all malicious behavior and deceit. Get rid of it. Don't just pretend to be good. Be done with hypocrisy and jealousy and backstabbing. I mean, that about sums it up, right? Newsflash. If you are attending Substance for the first time or you've come out of churches maybe that have hurt you or what, newsflash, the church is in desperate need of God's grace just as much as the world is. Amen? I mean, how many of you have been hurt by the church? You don't have to raise your hand. The church is in desperate need of God's grace just as much as those outside of the church. So Peter knows this. He knows this, and he wants the light of the glory of Christ to shine brightly in the church there among the exiles. And he wants to remind his people how they should respond to God's grace, and he begins with the negative. But then he quickly moves to the positive response to God's grace. Verse 2, look with me there. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. Now, you don't have to be a nursing mom to get the picture here, okay, right? You don't have to be a nursing mom. And when you think of infants that are crying, when you think of infants, what do you think about? New birth, right? A baby's just been born. That's new birth. What do you think about when uh, you see an infant crying as loud as it can possibly cry? Where's its mama? Right? Yeah. I remember when my, my daughter, my, my first daughter, and my, my wife was um, trying to nurse her and so on, and we were having complications there, and, and I remember waking up in the middle of the night kind of angry, you know? Imagine that, being wake, woken up in the middle of the night being angry, and passing her along to my wife because I knew that she was hungry. I was like, I can't feed her, you need to feed her, kind of thing. See, the whole idea here is not just, not immaturity of an infant, but it's about maturity. It's about dependence. Peter wants to see his flock dependent on the pure spiritual milk. Now, stop right there. What does that mean? What does that mean? Is that, is that some kind of super healthy shake for the latest guru that's out there? Pure spiritual milk? It refers, well, you know, there's some students in, uh, of Peter that say, well, it refers to his word because his word is what he's been talking about previous to this chapter. But others say, no, it's God himself. But here, I say it's both because without his word, we cannot know God. And without God, we cannot understand his word. 
right? So it's both. It refers to both God and his word. Now here's the point. Without the word as believers, there is no longing for God. There is no longing for God. Now let me just share with you to bless you and to encourage you that a recurring theme that I have heard over and over again at Substance Church is that there is a longing, that there is a craving for the pure spiritual milk of the Word of God. It's described to me like this. I've heard it over and over again, that, that I was in a fog, and I was in a fog until I came to Substance Church and I heard the word preached. And as I heard the word preached, and I began to hunger for the word and to get into the word and long for the word, then God removed the fog and he helped me to see for the first time how glorious and gracious he is. That is the recurring theme at Substance Church that I've heard. That is a work of grace in your lives. That is God creating a longing to passionately pursue you through his word by his spirit. So let me ask you this. Have you been rescued by God? Have you been rescued by him? Has he given you a hunger and a longing and a craving to be in his word? See, if we take this word as believers and we set it down and we say, God, I don't have time to read this word, then what's going to happen is that longing is going to feel pushed down. It's not going to be there as much. But as we pick up this word and we learn about how gracious and how wonderful and how just and how holy God is, what ends up happening is he gives us that longing. And he gives us more and more of it. So what about people that don't have? What about Christians that don't have that longing, that hunger? You know, maybe some of you grew up in the church. And you have been in the mode of religiosity where you go, okay, I wake up, I go to church, I shake some hands, I hear a sermon, I hear a good talk, and then I leave. And then I live my life however I want. Maybe you refer to your longing and hunger for God's word as something in the distant past or in the far past. And maybe you're not the emotional type. Maybe you're like, you know, Mark, I don't get into this longing and craving and, you know, crying out to God. I mean, I don't really shed tears very much. See, longing is just not an emotion. Peter says, long for the pure spiritual milk of the word. He's commanding them. Longing is not just an emotion. It's not just God's gracious activity. Longing is our obedience to the faith so that we would be growing in the faith, which we're going to get to here soon. So do you have a love for his word? 
Do you have a love for his people? Do you have a love for God? Then God is at work in you. But if you have never had a hunger for his word, if you have never had a craving and a longing that when you open up his word and you read it and you want it more, you don't have that feeling? You don't have that emotion? You have to be honest with yourself. You have to take the mask of religiosity off of self-righteousness and repent and believe in the gospel. Because those who are gods love his word and love his people. Well, what is the result of our longing? Growing, verse 2 again. Look at me there. In verse 2. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Peter, like a good pastor, comes alongside of them. He wants to see his flock grow up. Grow up in the fiery furnace of trials. Remember, that's the context of 1 Peter. They are in suffering. They are in the midst of trials. And as a result of God's continued grace in their lives, they desire to put away all deceitful behavior and grow in the likeness of Christ. It's only through Christ can we have the ability to live for the Father. The Father cares more about our maturity than we do. Imagine that. He cares more about our maturity than we do, and he wants us to grow more and more in love with him. To be passionately pursuing him, knowing that he passionately pursues us. You know, I love to see my children grow up. I'm past that age of, you know, infants. It's hard to believe that they were little babies, and I could hold them in my my arms, and, you know, one of them was just like the size of my, the length of my uh, wrist to my elbow. Can't believe that. My oldest, who's almost as tall as me now, are getting there. She probably will be taller than me. And I remember, I, mean, I, just, I just love seeing them grow up. I mean, the other day, my, my uh, six-year-old daughter, Charlotte, she calls me up on the cell phone as I'm leaving work, and she's telling me this story about what happened to her last night. And I could actually understand her, right? You ever have that conversation on the phone where you're talking to your kid and you're going, uh-huh, yeah, mm-hmm. I have no clue what you're saying right now, right? I love to see them grow up. I love to come alongside of them and to comfort them. I love to come alongside of them and comfort them when they're sad, to encourage them when they need encouragement. Um, I love to watch them and, and see how they play and how they interact and grow. You know what, in the same way, that's what our Heavenly Father loves to do. He loves it when we come to Him and we cry out to Him and we seek Him for comfort. So He wraps His arms around us and He says, I love you. I'm good. I know you're going through some hard times. I know you're going through some difficult times, but I love you. And we get to crawl up in God's lap, so to speak, and cry out to Him. Isn't that awesome? 
So as I was thinking about this passage, specifically about growing, what, is it, what does it mean to grow up in our salvation? What does it look like? Well, let me just share with you what it's not. It's not perfection. It is not perfection by any stretch of the imagination. I know that there are some faith traditions that teach that on this side of heaven, you can reach perfection and a state of sinlessness, and that's just a bunch of bunk. They're just not reading their Bible, okay? I mean, last I checked, I'm a sinner, and I need to be saved by God's grace over and over again. <laughs> but it's also not theology. It's not knowing your theology. And here's why. I knew a guy who knew his theology. I knew a guy that would always talk about Reformed theology. The guy loved more about Reformed theology than he did about Jesus. And you know what? He was addicted to porn. He couldn't get enough of it. And so he had all this talk about grace, but he had very little of it in his life. And his life is a mess right now to this day. It's also not about serving. It's not about serving. Just because you're serving in the church doesn't necessarily mean that you're growing. Because you know what? There are times that I've been there where you could be serving in the church, you could be serving your heart out, but what ends up happening is you want the glory. You want it. You want it. So it's not about serving. So what is some signs of growth? What are some signs that we can see in our own lives? Here's it. Here it is. Growing up takes place in the mundane moments of everyday life. It's not this mountaintop high experience Oh my gosh, I could see God and just I'm crying and everything and I'm growing. Mm -mm. No, you're growing when you have a fight with your spouse or your roommate or with your child. And you walk away from that fight and then you're, you're, you're convicted by the Holy Spirit to repent and to trust in God and to ask him for wisdom and how you could then go back to that person that you love, that you hurt, and ask them for forgiveness. That's a sign of growth. You're growing when you are on your last bit of patience with your child and you're in this moment of disciplining them and you're like coming alongside of them and you're trying to think about the gospel but it's really hard because you just want to kill them. <laughs> right? Let's be honest. Let's be honest. And so you come alongside of them and you're reminded right at that moment, right at that moment, that you need God's grace just as much as your child does that you're disciplining. That is growing in Christ. It's growing in Christ when you 
are tasting the bitterness of sin. And Christ is becoming more sweeter to your taste. It's when you stop pointing the finger at other people and you start pointing the finger at yourself and you say, whoa, I'm a sinner in need of the mercy of God. That's growth. That's growth. Can God grow us in those mountaintop experiences? But you know what? A lot of times God grows us in the suffering and in the trials. He grows us in leaps and bounds. So is Christ becoming sweeter to you? Is he becoming sweeter to you? And is your sin becoming more bitter to you? Where you are beginning to hate the things that God hates and love the things that God loves. And that is a sign of growth. And you know what? If that's not happening, then pray that it does happen. God loves prayers like that. He loves prayers like that. Well, now we get further in the text. See, we haven't gotten very far, have we? Peter grounds all of this in God rescuing us. Verse 3, look with me there. He says, That by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Some translations say, since you have tasted that the Lord is good, or now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. The longing, the growing doesn't happen without Christ, apart from, his, apart from grace. Because if we think we can grow with the longing, we've got to conjure up some longing, okay, I've got to get this emotion going, got to go, go, got to go, right? Then we fall into bondage, we fall into condemnation, The gospel liberates us from that. It liberates us. It sets us free. When Peter starts talking about, since you have tasted that the Lord is good, he is meditating on Psalm 34, probably. Most likely. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Experience that the Lord is good. And so that psalm... It's one of my favorite psalms in the Bible. It is a psalm of suffering. What psalm isn't, right? We just went through the psalms during the summer, right? Ronnie took us through that. But it's a psalm of suffering, about the suffering saints who are crying out to God, Lord, help us. How long, O Lord? Do you hear our cry? And then he does. And then he does. And so it's a psalm to remind them that their God is a big God who will rescue them no matter what trial that they are going through. And he will never leave them, and he will never forsake them, and he will never abandon them. Now let me share a testimony of God coming alongside of us and reminding us that he continues to rescue us. When the church closed, we had very quickly... I had no job. We had no consistent income coming in, although the church graciously gave us a four-month severance. We saw God miraculously provide for us through gifts of money 
just in that first week that the church had closed, right after the church had closed. We left, we said, we're going away, we're going to get away, we're going to have a family retreat, we're going to have some fun, we're going to seek the Lord of what's next. So we did, we went down south in Ohio, uh, a couple of places, we went to a water park, we had fun at the water park with our kids. The first evening that we were there, we were like, okay, we're hungry. Now that we've swam, we're starving. Let's go get some food. We thought, oh, we're going to go to the restaurant nearby, right next to the hotel. No, we, didn't, we decided not to do that. We ended, up, <coughs> excuse me, we ended up going to Cracker Barrel. Cracker Barrel, where you can't get kale. Okay, you got that. Good. <laughs> so anyway, we love Cracker Barrel. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. So we're there. We get to the, the restaurant. They sit us down. We pray over our food when we get it. By the end of the meal, we're, we're eating our ice cream. We're like, oh, this is so good, you know, all that. And then the waitress comes running over. I mean, she's running over. She's sprinting. And she, well, maybe she wasn't sprinting. But anyway, she was running over. And she grabs the check that's on the table. And she crumples it up. And she says, your check has been paid for. Pay it forward. I'm like, I'm not going to pay it forward. I'm going to give God praise. <laughs> I mean, that's what I was thinking in my heart. But anyway, pay it forward. I mean, isn't that a beautiful picture of the gospel? We did not deserve to have that meal paid for. And at that moment, I looked over at Kendra. She had tears in her eyes. I had tears in my eyes. And it was like we heard the whisper of God whispering in her ears and saying, I'm good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I'm good. I love you. And you might not feel like you're a part of anything right now, but you belong to me. You ever had that moment? Where God meets you in your trial? Let me tell you, there was a lot of growing going on. A lot of, a lot of growing going on. God is good. Do you believe that today? Maybe you've come with heavy burdens on your heart and you're like, I just can't see it. Get in his word and he will help you to see it. Go to the Psalms and cry out to him. We're moving on, but with growth, it's, there's this continually coming to Christ which is this implication of a relationship, that we have a relationship with the living God as believers in Jesus Christ. It says that he's the living stone, which means he's the new temple. The old sacrificial system is done away with and the new has come. He's the resurrected one that lives and empowers us as living stones to live resurrected lives dependent on him. That's what that means. He was also rejected by men. But in the sight of God, chosen and precious, it says, verse 4. It's not a matter of if we will be rejected by other people who don't know Christ, our friends, our family. It's when. It's when. I was raised Catholic, and when I ended up being rescued by God, my grandmother came to me, sweet, bless her heart. She's still alive today. She's like 98 years old or something like that and still going strong, and she came up to me and she said, Mark, come back to the Catholic Church if you want to minister. 
be in ministry? I said, no, I want to be married. <laughs> I want to be married. There were times where I got into conversations with them and it basically just, boom, shut down. My dad yelled at the top of his lungs, pretty much, there will be no more talk of religion in this house. So all I had to do was just go into the room, my own bedroom, read my Bible. God rescued me at the age of 22. A 22-year-old going into his room that's kind of a closed space, who only read his Bible, it's kind of awkward. But that's where God met me and comforted me. And several years later, my dad has repented and believed in the gospel. What does it mean to come continually to Christ? It means that God is our plan A. He's our plan A, he's our plan B, C, D, E, F, G, H, or whatever. He's it. He is it. He's the first person that we go to for help. He is, it's a means of a regular habit of repentance and trust in him. It's giving him glory in the midst of suffering. It's continually finding our identity in Jesus. And this is where Peter goes. Watch the switch here where it is in verse 5. Look with me there. In verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, he just, started talk, he just was talking about Jesus being the living stone. Now he's saying about us. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are being built up. So that's my, my third point. So what does that mean? It means that those, what does it mean to be the spiritual house? You ever thought about that? What does it mean to be the spiritual house? It means that those who are part of the household of God, the one purpose with basically the household of God that has one purpose, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I mean, isn't there something that when we're singing corporately these songs about the gospel that we just want to cry out to God and say, Amen! Right? So who is doing this building up? It's Christ. It's God by his spirit. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22. Ephesians 2, chapter 2, verse 22 says this. In him you also are being built together, sound familiar? Into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, a spiritual house. So what is he building us up to be? In verse 5, to be a holy priesthood, it says. Not just a priesthood, but a holy one. Again, that theme of holiness. Do you know what this means? It means this. That God's people, all of God's people who have repented and believed in the gospel are ministers of the gospel. All of you. You are ministers of the gospel. So let's get practical here. So when you hand out the bulletins and you're greeting people on Sunday mornings, you are ministering. When you're up here singing and leading people in song, you are ministering. 
When we pass the peace of Christ and we're smiling and we're greeting somebody that maybe has never been greeted before, you are ministering, showing them the love of Christ, giving them that smile and saying, welcome to Substance Church, you're ministering. When you serve the food in the cafe, you're ministering. When you share with somebody about the struggles that you're having in your life and how Christ is your hope in those struggles, you are ministering. That is the priesthood of all believers. A holy priesthood. Listen to this. God's church is not built up and then set up on autopilot. It's not built up and set up on autopilot. It's being built up and God involves his people graciously to fulfill his purposes through his church. He's the one that does the building up. We get to participate. We get to. So we offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable because of Christ. Look with you there in verse 5 again. Get, get to my uh, text here. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Does it say acceptable to God because of our awesome character? No. Does it say acceptable to God because of the good things that we did that week? No. Does it say acceptable to God because of how great we are? No. It's acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Does it say it's, we're acceptable to God because of our devotion to him? No. It's we're acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Listen, the only, reason why, the only reason why we are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and to live sacrificially is because of God's ultimate sacrifice in Christ Jesus. That's why. So who is this Jesus? Peter quotes the prophet Isaiah. Look with me there in verses 6 through 8. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the, same that the, the, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. I love that phrase, whoever believes in Jesus will not be put to shame. It doesn't mean you're not going to experience shame. It doesn't mean that. It means whoever believes will not be put to shame. Hebrews chapter 2 talks about how he forsook himself, despising the shame. Literally, it means he shamed the shame. You know what that means? He's redeemed our shame. Now let me share with you a story in closing here. When our church closed, we felt so shameful. I'm going to just talk about myself. I won't put my wife in there. But I felt so ashamed, and at the same time, I knew that if I did not close the church, that I would be in direct disobedience to the will of God. But when that church closed... I felt so much shame. And Michael Crawford, who came and speak to the men at the men's retreat, gave this definition of shame. 
basically says it's a sense or a feeling that you feel like something is wrong with you. And boy, did I feel like something was wrong with me. I felt ashamed. I felt like I could never be in ministry again. I felt like I was holding on to my fingernails. I felt like I could never make it in full-time ministry. I wasn't strong enough. All lies from the enemy. Maybe some of you are here today and you've come in with feelings of shame and guilt. Christ is your only hope. Through this time of healing at Substance Church and we continue to heal, Christ continues to remind us, Mark, for me, your identity is not in pastoring. Your identity is not in the job that you perform right now in a secular workplace. It's not in the marketplace. Your identity is in me. It's in me. It's in Christ. So let me ask you this question. Are you growing in Christ? Don't try to get around that question. Be honest with God. And if you're not, why not? Are you growing in Christ? Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the day of completion in Christ Jesus. It's in Christ that we are, that we long for Christ, that we grow up in Christ, and that we're built up in Christ. All for his glory. Pray with me. Oh, Father, I pray that your words that were shared here this morning, that any words that I've shared that are not truth would just fall to the ground and die. But thank you, Lord, for your life-giving word that we are given a longing for you because of you, to grow up in you and to be, and we are being built up in you. It's a process. And we thank you, Father. Oh, Lord, grow your people. Give them a hunger and longing for you and for me as well. In Christ's name I pray, amen.